Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kirscher and Wendy Bowlesby. Listeners to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. This is Melissa, and this is my co-host Wendy, and we are back this week with our special guest star Noel. And since last week we did not quite finish talking about nearly all of the Robert Aldrich movies, which we seriously, want to talk about. Noel yeah. is super knowledgeable, and he walked us through the entire catalog, yeah. and so. it was super great and super fun. But there's no way we're gonna boop that into one episode. Yeah, I totally so, made boop a verb. Yeah, so we want to give you the whole experience, so we're making it two episodes. Yeah. So uh, we are still drinking this wonderful, wonderful wine from Elliot named Kenwood Vineyards Cabernet Sauvignon. And we really extra special. Oh, my uh, God. So much love. Wow. So much love. Elliot, you love us because we love you. And I love you and you love me. And it's a whole circular recursive thing. Yeah. That wine right there. Yeah. So good. So now we're back to Robert Aldrich. What's next? What's next? We have Flight of the Phoenix. Flight, Flight of the Phoenix, Phoenix. I love. It's one of my favorite movie setups. Have you seen Flight of the Phoenix? I have never seen Flight of the Phoenix. I know it's it's, it's all Jimmy you. Stewart. It's the, Jimmy Stewart. Let me right? just give you the setup. And and it's Jimmy Stewart. It's a whole cast of character actors. Oh yeah, um, but but uh, the, there's the main a German character. actor. Oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name off the top of my head. It's yeah. a yeah. We'll look him up here while I tell, while I tell you the plot setup. Uh, um, the basic plot yeah. setup is a plane crashes in the desert. They have barely any food or water, and they know they have no hope of walking to rescue. So they decide, what if we just take the wreckage of the plane and build another plane? Wait, they remade this. Dennis yeah. Quaid. Yeah, de- with yeah. Dennis Quaid. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like the- I know this plot. Richard Attenborough, Peter Finch. Richard Attenborough, Marty that's Kruger, who it is. Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. George Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then a bunch of British actors. And it's it's just literally like these guys going mad in a desert with no food, no water. Like one of the few Aldrich films with makeup just to show everyone all chapped and peeling. Mm-hmm. And as they're, and like there's this one guy who's like, I designed planes. We can build another plane and fly out of here. We can build it. We can save ourselves. Right. And it's it's one of those... It's, the bionic plane. <laughs> and it's, it's one of those planes where, you know, it has like the engines on the wings. Mm-hmm. What if we just take off one of the wings, put another part of the wing on that and basically make like a little biplane type thing. Oh. And we'll just strap everybody to the wings. If we don't need to go high. We right. just need to get out. And then it's just this whole thing of will they live long enough to finish building this plane while also going mad from the heat and hallucinating and going crazy at one another and aldriching out and just pure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I need to see this shit. And I think I need it to be a double feature with the remake because that sounds super duper fun. Yeah, and the remake is, it, it again, it's a remake that doesn't really change much. It is very much a pretty straightforward adaptation. But even then, it was it was a novel first and... Both films are just really close to the novel. And I'm a fan of Dennis Quaid. Right. Dennis and Quaid's good. Who and doesn't there, like Dennis Quaid? If you don't a, like Dennis Quaid, I kind of don't want to know you. And there is a bit of a twist at the end that I won't give away, but it is, it's just such a great setup of our plane crashed in a desert. Let's build another plane. Yeah. <laughs> How do we it, get out? Beautiful. You Well, and according what, to Liam Neeson. And it's a could, film all about problem solving. And you it's could like, trek out the and then punch of, a wolf or you could build another plane. If only right. Liam Neeson had had a plane builder, right. he wouldn't have had to punch the wolves. Well, you get yeah. Jimmy, you get Jimmy Stewart punching Peter Finch. That's okay, dude. <laughs> I'm good with that. And Ernest Borgnine and George Kennedy. <laughs> Seriously, I don't feel like that should be possible. Like how they like there are well, multiple, that, no, there there are multiple films together. I know, but it's just there like are multiple Aldrich films yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. Speaking speaking of oh, which, Aldrich. the next movie is Dirty Dozen, which which has the both in. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is, I, I will follow George Kennedy anywhere. I fucking yes. love George Kennedy. I just, it's it's one of those, Ernest Borgnine and George Kennedy, too much. So much. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you just sort See, of, And honestly, Whoa. if you couldn't get George Kennedy to play my camera, I would go Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's delicious, too. Yeah, either one. Oh, yeah, that'd be okay. <laughs> I would accept that. George Kennedy first, though. I do agree with yeah. you. Mm-hmm. All so, right. So we have fin- we have been re- uh, recording for an hour and eight minutes, and we have gotten to Dirty Dozen. Finally. Okay, but seriously, do we need to talk about the... Yes, we do need to talk about you've, the Dirty Dozen. You've all, see- if you, you've all seen... See, and I don't dirty love Dirty Dozen. dozen. Yeah. Well, okay, I, see, I that's, that's interesting. You don't love Dirty Dozen. Please, Partially explain. because I've seen the entire broader career. I've seen him do these other themes better. I think, like, Attack is a much better version. We'll get to Too Late the Hero. I just think Dirty Dozen was a compromised film that the studio kind of took away from him, recut. He had a lot of problems with how they recut it. And I think it does lose some bits. And also... I actually prefer the novel, the redemptive story of the novel to the cynical anti-war version that he does. All right. The novel is just one of the best novels I've ever read. It's like this big 700 page sprawling epic. (laughs) Okay. And those are fair reasons. Mm -hmm. Those are. I don't dislike the movie. Oh, yeah. I don't. I am not hearing that you dislike the movie. You're just saying in the the grand scheme of things, there are better movies. And it's it's one of those ones I loved until I then kind of saw the broader range. And then I also read the book and I'm kind of like, you know what? It doesn't quite hit what it could have been. But it but is a seminal movie. It's for an that absolutely time iconic period. movie. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if you haven't seen The Dirty Dozen, just go. If you. And I yeah. don't even care if you're like, I don't like war movies. Shut up. You need to watch a war movie because you need to watch The Dirty Dozen. And, it, and it's a very unusual war movie because most of the running time is the we're building a team. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it's it's that trope, yeah. which is also always fun. Yeah. And that team involves Donald Sutherland, which is something I'm always. And it's building for. a team out of fuck ups, which yeah. is also right. a fun trope. Yeah. Which, which uh, is these also... are all the failures who are actually going to be good at this. Mm-hmm. But that's also why I didn't like the ending of you didn't let them have that victory, you know. But then that's that's just getting into. Well, right? Yeah, and yet they they a few of them did have that victory. But, See, and, and, and in the novel, yeah. I think only only eleven of them go because they don't bring Telly Savalas because he's such a fucking bastard. Yeah, Telly Savalas because he's the one oh, who just he's a it up creepy motherfucker. Yeah. And basically, the novel showed why you shouldn't, or the movie yeah. showed why you shouldn't bring him. Yeah, um, FYI, they would have noticed, yeah. and they would have said, "Nah, you stay home." Yeah. <laughs> And I think of the remaining 11, only five die. And then there was actually a second novel called The Dirty Distant War, which picks up like 10 years later of where <laughs> the rest of them still are. Interesting. Okay. And it actually gets into the whole, it, it was written in the 80s and it's about the start of Vietnam mm-hmm. huh. and how these guys get caught up in all the politics that led to the Vietnam War. Interesting. And, but and, and I know I just really liked the story of the book and the movie is very good. I love the ending. I just don't think that ending fits the story that I wanted. It's the story but that you wanted. However, that's true. I love the ending. I love. No, just because you want to be a hero doesn't mean you get to be a hero. Right. No, just because you finally turn it around doesn't mean that you get magic ability to survive. No. A suicide mission that they told you was a suicide mission from the start. Right. But it also, they changed a lot of the characterizations in terms of, in the book, it was fallen soldiers just being reminded how to be soldiers. Mm-hmm. In the book, in, in the movie, now they're just all pretty much drenched. Yeah, but yeah. I, so, I love and that. that. And that I love the idea that. of taking... No, and that ending fits that. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of taking yeah. dregs and... I just liked a lot of those characters. And the arc of, yeah. you are shit. Yeah. Now you are going to be successful, but you're going to be successful in a scenario that guarantees you yeah. will still be a failure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's why I don't begrudge so anyone you're gonna, for not agreeing here. You're yeah. going to die a failure, and yet you're going to die feeling good about yourself because you were successful. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you were you were better at it than you should have been. Yeah. Or, you know, something in the very twistedness right. is so... Great. These characters well, you are see, and the book so has great. that, too, in terms of the ones who do die. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's like that element is still there. And it's, it's just it's 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 just it was a much more richer, complicated book that got slimmed down. And I just miss a lot of the stuff that they. they well, I mean, but, yeah, that's always going to happen whenever you turn a book into a movie. And that's why I would such a good cast. That's why I would love to see someone redo it as a miniseries. But <laughs> I mean, 
who all is in that? There's oh, well, you've got Charles Bronson and Lee Marvin and John Cassavetes and uh, Telly Savalas and Donald Sutherland and Reb Brown, wasn't it? No, Jim Brown. No, Jim, Jim Brown. Brown. Jim Brown. That's who I'm thinking of. Who the, had the a good? Dude. Who had a good hero death? Yes. Yes. He he, he was so, great. Yes, I agree with you on that. One. Um, which the well because I'm I not think, surprised. Actually, you know what? I, of course, I'll, I'll actually just say most of my problem yeah. with the ending is that they brought Telly Savalas when they shouldn't have brought Telly Savalas. Yeah, that There's that no, was yeah. just a bad move. What I love is in the novel is just like no, we're just not fucking bringing him. Just yeah. put him back in jail. He, he's he, he failed the program. Yes, he's so fucking creepy. I love you. Failed. Kudos yes. to Telly Savalas. He's. Yeah. One of the creepiest, creepy motherfuckers that ever creeped. I should also say, one of the things that absolutely must be brought up when you talk about Robert Aldrich, Richard Jekyll. Ooh. Who is yeah. in, like, 80% of Robert Aldrich's movies. He is, like, one of the most recurring character actors in all the movies. Just plays these small little parts. Mm-hmm. And in Dirty Dozen, he's, like, the right-hand man of Lee Marvin, mm-hmm. who goes on the missions with them. And it, he's just this wonderful little reliable... Robert Aldrich was one of those guys who liked to reuse actors a lot. Yeah. Especially George Kennedy and all that stuff. And so that's what's always fun about watching directors is when you get to see these casts that they keep playing with and you get to see all these familiar faces keep coming back again and again. Yeah, and you keep – and with Aldrich, you keep seeing also Burt Lancaster and Jack Palance and – Well, it makes sense once – oh, hey, you get it. Ralph Ralph Meeker. Mm -hmm. You get it. You play the way I need you to play. You get what I'm going for. This makes it so much easier than taking a chance on somebody new. And I like working with you. It's also he knows the the, he knows what the actor can do, so he can know how to write characters too. Yeah, I mean it's it's symbiotic. But what's also nice about him is he would do kind of like what Kurosawa does of know what an actor can do and write something completely off for them to do something completely different because they always love it when you do that. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, (laughs) let them them go out of their wheelhouse. What? Yes. Oh, I love you so much. Which again, we'll be getting to a great board game role coming. I trust you. I trust you not to take me where I won't be good. Take me there, my muse. So what's after the Dirty Dozen? We have the Legend of Lila Which is one of the other ones I haven't seen because it's never been released. Oh, that's unfortunate because that one sounds so interesting. Yeah, I know. I know TCM has run it a few times, but I've just never catched it. I'm the one who's speaking weirdly now, and I'm not the one who's drinking. (laughs) I did not... I I'm, I had not caught it, but it's I've been it's basically Ernest Borgnine as Robert Aldrich, and then like yeah, there's what's the actress who's basically playing multiple oh. roles of yeah, showing like the blurring reality of fame and stuff like that. It's that's why it helps that I'm um, using the IMDb page. I'll have it here. God in a damn it! I know who it is. It's it is I can Kim see Novak. Kim Novak, Vertigo, Ooh. Vertigo. It's Kim Novak, and also Peter Finch is in it. And yeah, it, yeah. I, I want to see that one. It's just hard to find. And I know they have aired I think it might find. Have you be tried out. Video Universe? Best video store in the universe. It's true. It's we should true. get them to Well, totally this was also when podcast. I went through Aldrich was before a lot of resources were available online. Right. So it was, I, I, I should go back and start filling some of those in. Yeah, we should, we should uh, see if we can find that. But so we are finally in, at. We are finally at the killing of Sister George. Which, do you know what the killing of Sister George is? Uh-uh. I will sit here and listen. Yeah, okay. this is a Kill, hell of a thing. Killing of Sister George was a play that basically he threw out half the play and him and Lucas Heller just built this whole new story out of. It's an aging soap opera actress is a complete alcoholic wreck who makes like big tabloid messes of herself who finds out that they're finally killing her long-running, beloved character of Sister George off, and basically dealing with her life falling apart with her live-in girlfriend. Wait, homosexual? Homosexual. The film is about lesbians. It gets into the lesbian subculture. It's openly about lesbians. This is 1968. This is 1968. This was one of the first X-rated movies because it has a lesbian sex scene. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness! As I oh. said, we're gonna dive into this one. Oh, um, as yeah. it were, and and yeah, and like yeah, very very <laughs> surprisingly explicit lesbian sex scene for 1968. Okay, then I'll just leave it there. But then it's it, it's another one of those. But it, again, it goes into the entire subculture of uh, the gay subculture. They go to gay nightclubs. They you know deal with transvestitism. They 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 really get into this whole gay subculture without making it about that 
it's all about a soap opera actress whose life and career is falling apart. Yeah, it's it's not it's not sold as an exploitation film. Right, it's, it's not. Yeah. It's like that's all just there to flavor the undercurrent of it. And it's just about the story of this washed up actor who's become a complete self-destructive wreck, life falling apart, and in Aldrich fashion at the at their absolute worst. Nice. Yeah. And I will say it's not one of the ones where they come out on top. <laughs> as which it I, were which i didn't mean that way but yes but it's not one of those ones where well, that's what she yes. said but and every other wink wink nudge killing your sister george is i think one of his more powerful movies it's just a gripping character study mm -hmm. i love that movie okay i highly recommend it. add it okay. to the list I again will. there's like no major twist to it it's just literally this actor's life is falling apart i i feel that like that big knife yeah. Work as a pairing. I, I feel like Wendy and I just need to have a weekend to watch Robert Aldrich movies. Oh, that would be point. okay, too. I, I, I could do I that. will bring over a box full of DVDs oh. for you. <laughs> It'd be like, no, you're my favorite person right now. It'd I don't... be like that moment in 40-Year-Old Virgin where he hands over the box of porn. Oh, it's just <laughs> like, Robert Aldrich. Oh, I oh, guess no, we're no, going to no. need some lotion and Kleenex. Wendy, Wendy, what I'm imagining is Noel brings over this box with a lid on it, and we open it up, and the glow comes and out glows. from inside. And it glows. And it goes. We're and just the entire oh. cut to the outside on the beach as the house catches fire. As the Ralph house Meeker's explodes. running away. The and end, question mark. And Ralph we're all Meeker's just... just sitting there like they don't appreciate me. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you love me like you should? And then, like from out of the flames, comes like a flaming Jack Palance with a bazooka. God damn yes! I like this better and better. <laughs> you will watch my movies. <laughs> Flaming Jack Palance is the name of my replacement cover band. And then he's, he's roaring with the bazooka, and then out comes George Kennedy, who punches him. <laughs> Eddie Albert just runs, kicking him in the shins. And, and Bazooka Tank I think is the name of my Ziggy I think Stardust we're cover band. We're concocting Aldrich the poster. <laughs> And then oh Lee gosh. Marvin wants to recruit them all for a mission. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to show up after we've been watching 12 hours of Aldrich. I want you to knock on the door. And we're you guys will open, open, open the door caked in baby Jane makeup. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and you're going to look at us and go, I need you for a mission. And we're just going to run into the night. We're just going to run into the night. Too late for the hero is the too, next one. Too late for hero. I need a hero. Is basically, you know, he was kind of let down with how Dirty Dozen ultimately turned out. So he built this original project around how can we address the things that we don't feel we were able to pull off with, with that. And this is also the post rating system film world where you can really go R rated with the violence. You don't have to cut anything. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, Cliff Robertson, I believe. No, no, Lee Majors. Wait. Can't the bionic man. I, no, wait, hang on, hang on. Yeah, we're in we're in the seventies now. Let me see. It's Michael Caine and Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Who's the American actor? And this is also where you get a lot of the British character actors too. And Cliff Robertson again. Okay, Yay. Cliff Robertson. It's Algernon. He's special. Where he's an imprisoned. <laughs> I'm a bad person. You are horrible. I'm such a bad person. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting a little punchy. You were saying, though. <laughs> yes. Please continue to carry so, the like, podcast. Cliff Robertson <laughs> is basically an imprisoned soldier who's given a mission, uh, basically because he he uh, understands Japanese and they're on an island and it's like, can we get to one of the camps, tap into their radios and you translate for us what the what the radio things are. And basically they go and blow the entire place up and then are being pursued through the woods by the Japanese for the majority of the film, mm -hmm. who are just picking them off one by one in horribly violent fashion. And then it ends with a, a, a it's a different ending than Dirty Dozen, but mm -hmm. it's it's that same type of beat to it. Okay. And I actually really like the way that they, they do the twisting thing. Too Late to Hero, it just it doesn't have the iconic feel that Dirty Dozen has, but it's it's I think it's a much more consistent movie. It's a leaner, meaner movie. I think one of the other people that we should mention instead of John Milius, Walter Hill was very much a fan yes. of Aldrich. I think Walter Hill used a little more subdued, mm -hmm. but you can see very much the same type of the way the characters play off each other, the kind of raw, you know, yeah. just kind of caught in the moment type of storytelling and without all these elaborate backstories and stuff. Because he's very lean, very tight. Mm -hmm. And Too Late to Hero is definitely one of those type of films. And I, I very much recommend it. It's worth tracking down. 
And again, between that and attack, that kind of is what softened me on Dirty Dozen because those two just like fill in that placeholder so much better than that one does for me. <laughs> those fill your heart a little bit more. Yeah. I'm going to pause <laughs> to throw, a, as I'm finishing the last of my last bit of this wonderful wine, because it's gone now, Elliot. Oh, it's so tasty. The longer it was breathing, the more peppery and wonderful it got. This last little bit is like, it's it's like a steak. It's just. Yeah. Ooh, it is. Mm. I, I want to buy more of this. This is super this... good, Elliot. You know, Melissa and I quite well and your love has been appreciated. Oh, goodness. This is amazing. Mm. And kissing the bottle. Mwah. Oh, that was great. That was really tasty. All, all in my mouth. And I'll tell you some of these last few films we can roll through a little more quicker. But Yeah. Because we are kind of entering the the final edge of his career, where, again, there's still some really good stuff here, but he was kind of winding down. He was losing that produ producerial control, was just kind of taking projects he could get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so we've got uh, the Grissom Gang. Grissom Gang is... It's tough because it's trying to be a big, meaty gangster movie, and yet and, and, half and the yet... movie is about rape. Oh. They kidnap a millionaire heiress. One of the gangsters falls in love with her and basically just proceeds to rape her into submission. Oh. Oh, Stockholm Syndrome by rape. The, there My even a, favorite. Until the big mm. twist ending where she kills him. But yeah. and Okay, that's okay. But it's just, it's just not a fun but that, movie. That's very The Hills Have Eyes. Uh, it's just, mm. uh, yeah, and it's yeah. I, I like this story better when it was set in a lingerie factory it, and there was less rape. It's better, and there was more, yeah, explodey. There's gang yeah. there's good bits in the movie, but it's just it's just one of an uncomfortable movie. And with the way that Aldrich always kind of exaggerates anything, it just makes it even more uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Okay, so we've got Alzana's Raid. Alzana's Raid, again. It which didn't... you said was a makeup for the Apache. Right, and it didn't do very well, but it is a very nice kind of post-Western, just like peeling away all the Western tropes and just showing how fucked up it was in terms of the relations between uh, the, the white settlers and the Native Americans and what are all the politics that led to these conflicts in terms of the Natives. Uh, it, it, like the natives go on these very brutal skirmishes where they'll just tear apart farm families, but it's also like, yeah, but we kind of drove them to that. And it's this whole, uh, Burt Lancaster is now this aging tracker. Uh, it's, uh, let me see. It was Bruce Davison is this young Lieutenant who's just after this Bruce Davison. Yeah. This was the seventies. We're in the seventies already. Yeah. 1972. I'm like, a brawl? Yeah. Okay, So no, he was okay. like in his 20s. This was like pre-Willard. <laughs> okay. I think right around, like, when yeah. was that, 74-ish? Uh, so it's very much getting into the, and he's like the military guy who hates the, the Native Americans. And Burt Lancaster has an actual Native American who works with him as a tracker. And it gets into this whole ambiguity of you're basically helping these guys kill your own people. And then while Bruce Davidson is constantly insulting you and, tearing you down it just gets into just what was the reality of the situation and nice. it's, it's a harsh movie there's no real easy answers or ending to it but it was just a very it's it's great to watch in conjunction with apache because apache is like this big bold adventure story that's wrong <laughs> and Ozana's raid is just this really depressing bleak character study that gets it right so they're kind of like two sides of the same coin. Excellent. Okay. All right. And then we get Emperor of the North. Which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. I, wow. I read okay. the plot of this one and it's fascinating. And this one is like as Walter Hill as you can get to the point where none of the characters are even named. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's basically, it's set in, in the Depression era. Ernest Borgnine is a train conductor who swears to kill any hobo who tries to ride his train. Lee Marvin is the hobo who says, I'm going to fucking ride your train. Two hours of Lee Marvin versus Ernest Borgnine <laughs> oh on, on a roaring train. Oh, my God. <laughs> and like Ernest Borgnine is just named the shack and he's just like in a stovepipe hat with a he literally just walks around with a hammer that he just beats people with. <laughs> and, like, and like Lee Marvin is is a number one. And and then like uh, uh, it's um not John Carradine, who was the young Carradine of the time, David Carradine. I think one of the David Carradine is Cigarette, who's like this young guy who's tagging along as as he's trying to conquer this train, and it's just literally just dude versus dude. 
<laughs> for two hours straight. Lee Marvin, Ernest Borgnine, just like up to the point where it's like literally Ernest Borgnine is just swinging around a chain. Lee Marvin has a fire axe. They're just going at each other. Oh, God. Okay. Hi. So I, I read the description of this movie as I was putting together the, the list for this episode. And it's like, why why is this movie not in my it life needs, yet? It needs to be. This needs to be a watched film because I think it <gasps> is Aldrich's best movie. Uh-huh. I mean, Grant, he's, he has such a range of films, so it's hard to define what's his best movie. But it is my favorite. Mm-hmm. It is seriously, it's on my late top 10 of all time favorite okay. films. Okay. I've watched yeah. this film a dozen times since I've seen it for the first time like five years ago. Uh-huh. And I just love it. And it's just, it's so just, ah. <laughs> and it is, it is. All right. When you have to describe a film with grunting, and it's, and, it's, I'm sold. It's, it's, another, it's, good. it's another one of those films where it's like, this is what Milius should be. Yeah. Because <laughs> Milius has some really neat movies in his own right, but Emperor of the North Pole is basically that done to its purest, most perf- perfect form. Oh. Oh, I needed him in Emperor my life. Emperor of the North. And then also what's fascinating about Emperor of the North is you had Kurosawa's Runaway Train, which languished in development hell for a long time. This is done by some of the same producers. And actually, the original Kurosawa plot was supposed to be set in the Great Depression mm-hmm. with hobos on trains in upstate New York. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know, did some of that get recycled into here? Because when they ultimately made Runaway Train, they reset it in the 80s with escape prisoners and all that stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's I actually think it's it's what runaway train should be even the runaway train still worth a watch yeah if you like kurosawa definitely check this one out because it has that vibe to it too nice <laughs> okay next one on the list is a movie we've referenced the longest yard which yeah. is one of the um movie channel <laughs> category of movies from wendy's childhood of <laughs> hey look we have the movie channel and an entire summer where mom works and we're at home alone so the kids watch whatever it's is also on. one of those films that everyone's dad has seen and loved <laughs> i think this may be the beginning of my love for the underdog sports flick right oh, be- oh because yeah. i love the underdog sports flick and this is yes. totally the underdog but, it, but sports it's also flick. a raw brutal prison movie mixed with underdog yeah, sports it's, which is so great it's two yeah, great exactly. tropes mixed together like peanut butter and chocolate See, man. and then you know robert others would do that too he would do like the war melodrama he would do like the noir war movie he would do the western horror movie you just do these weird mashups and so like, if you haven't seen it it's Burt Reynolds yes. mm-hmm. when he was the thing. And you can see why he was the thing. He's very, this very was the commanding he the as a central character. Too, yeah. um, <laughs> so he gets sent to prison. He's a he's a very talented football player and he gets sent to prison. Goes on a drunken round. Doesn't matter. Rampage. Who cares? But he's sent to prison and the prison warden is like, okay, so you may not have known this, but there's a whole football rivalry between us and a different prison who by the way eddie albert (laughs) yeah eddie albert and since you're here i'm counting on you to help us win the game against the other prison and so take these team of losers right right? so we got that true then you got the further twist of he's like but we need a practice game where we take on your guards yes so it's the prisoners (laughs) versus the guards who abuse them on a daily basis yeah. And yeah. this wasn't even the big game. This is just the practice game. Just the practice game. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so good. It's got great football, you know, tropes. Yeah. It's got putting the team together tropes. It's got prison movie yeah. tropes. And it's got an ending that is sublime. It really it is, is. Beautiful. It's a sublime ending. It's just great. Also worth knowing that this, I think this was one of the first sports movies where they actually went to the guys who shoot NFL games. And oh. basically just set up the camera system so it has that very documentary in the mm-hmm. moment. There's a lot of improvisation that's going on with like 30 cameras all covering it at once. And they just shot it like that. a football game. Mm-hmm. It's really fun to watch. This this was actually something that you, you actually see in a lot in some of his later era movies here of this kind of almost, uh, you know, film jargon better than I. Would that be cinema verite? 
where it's kind of the distant yeah. documentary look. Yeah, it, it yeah, it's that that um And you're to be in fair, Altman yeah. had had made his big splash by this point. So mm-hmm. he might just be kind of influenced by what Altman was doing mm-hmm. where he'll just like pull back, put a bunch of cameras on a scene, let the actors kind of play around with it. And this is also where he really yeah. starts playing with split screen, like Longest Yard will have like seven different screens running at once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's still pure Aldrich, but he's also growing with his technique and playing with a lot of the new techniques Which, at the time and handling he was, them beautifully. He's 10 years from his death. He's in 10 he's, years from his death. He's been doing this for like 30 years by this and point. And God bless me. He's like, hey, here's a new thing I could play with. I'm going to play with that. God bless you, Robert Aldrich. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome of you. And it's things like The Longest Yard that make me realize that sometimes as a child, you watch a movie and... You don't realize how good it was. You mm-hmm. just, I mean, you're just like, yeah. well, that was a movie I saw. And The Longest Yard is just one of those kind of in my back catalog of, oh, I watched that movie. I really it's, liked it. Yeah. And yet when I really stop to think about it, it's so good. It's <laughs> so solid. I think Dirty Dozen falls into that with a lot of people, too. Of It's just something that you're so used to always being around. And you have this idea of what it is, and then you go watch it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like... Oh, yeah. There's a lot more going on Now that I'm an adult with a sophisticated sense of the world, holy shit, this movie's good. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was fun and I liked it, but... Burt Reynolds doing a football movie with a bunch of rowdy prisoners, and then you go watch it and it's like Aldrich is being all brutal and harsh, but still having that hopeful moment. Oh, there's some brutal shit in there. Richard Keel, yeah! Yeah. (laughs) Thank God I forgot about Richard Keel! Yeah, and and what I'm thinking about right now is... I broke his fucking nose. This was after MASH, right? This is after Altman's MASH, right? Yeah, I think so. Because that was 71. Right. But he had a few before that, too, didn't he? Oh, Altman? Or was that his, like, big break? Well, Altman, yeah, that was kind of his big break. But there's also that football scene in MASH, which is interesting to think that there's some common dna in there that may have fed right. into longest yard uh, and you know and he would do like the very distant camera but i think uh aldrich then pushed it a step further of let's just get the people who shoot the actual games oh yeah yeah so i mean it's yeah. like that entire end segment is shot like those nfl specials like mm-hmm. you'll even have like the big slow motion bit you know and it's just such a fun movie and you know my my theory is that after the rat pack died out now we have Adam Sandler movies, which are the exact same fucking thing. Though I will say his remake of Longest Yard wasn't too bad. I didn't see it because... It's actually, it's actually, it, it's grittier than Adam Sandler usually gets. It's pretty faithful to the original. It's just, it just has a bit of the Adam Sandleriness to it. It's actually not I, a bad remake. For, yeah, but my, the thing is, when it's a movie Adam gets Sandler. remade, I wait to hear, did the, was there something there that was new or different or fresh and nobody's they were like well it's well, it i mean it's pretty faithful and i'm like well if it's a pretty faithful adaptation but they didn't really bring anything well, new to it also needs to then just said. watch the original as someone who's done a four-year podcast about remakes uh, <laughs> i think as an authority on there's this also subject. something to be said for just representing a story for a new generation like we do with romeo and juliet or dracula or and i actually do agree with you on that except just watch the original because the original right. is burt reynolds and he's great. And it, that one actually holds up really well. And we'll it yeah. does. I'll say, though, there's still one more that I really like, but I think that is also the last great film from Robert Alder. Okay. okay. Um, we got so a few more. Hustle. We've got Hustle. Oh, Hustle is such a boring movie. It's it's <laughs> trying to do Kiss Me Deadly in L.A. in the 70s. Oh. And it's just, it's Burt Reynolds again. Uh, It's just, it's too disconnected just trying to like cover everything horrible that's going on in la but there's just no real connective thread to it there's no energy to it it's just it just kind of sits there for as much as i love the longest yard i will say i don't think burt reynolds was an aldrich actor burt reynolds what fit was you had him play the straight man and surrounded him with the robert aldrich characters yeah Mm -hmm. he was pitted him against eddie he was very good at being just raising the eyebrow and looking around sort of ironically but But he he wasn't going to be somebody who actually got up and chewed the scenery but even more so than ralph meeker he could still do his own thing yeah he still had a thing that still worked yeah he could he was a strong enough anchor point as long as something else was going on around him but if you were depending on him to do something 
No. And, you know, even in Longest Yard, he could still have that fun charm and that, that wink to him. Hustle, they just wanted him to play it dead straight. And it's just, it's not a fun movie. There's just not much interesting to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, this, and this is also Longest Yard was the last of Aldrich's producing. Ah. So this is when we're starting to get into just picking up what he can. Okay. Twilight's Last Gleaming? I like Twilight's Last Gleaming. It's not a great one. It's basically Burt Lancaster is a retired general who hires a bunch of guys and they go and hijack a nuclear missile silo <laughs> and say, we're going to fire off a nuclear missile unless the president comes clean with these documents about why we fought in Vietnam. Wow. 1977, totally topical. His politics are totally showing there. Right. And to be fair, that was something he added that wasn't originally there. It was originally more just a military thriller. And that actually caused, like, Tom Mankiewicz was the original writer who took his name off because he hated that twist. The original author didn't hate it. And it does become a little overbearing. And then you find out that the big secret was that we kept fighting in Vietnam because we couldn't admit to the Russians that we could lose a war. And that's literally just the entire twist. The entire document just says that. And it's like, you just want to release that. You're going to blow up a nuke just for that, which everyone pretty much suspected anyways. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Um, why did we lose? Why were we in Vietnam? Right. Hubris. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, right. Hubris. But it's like that. It's still like you take that aside. It's still a really crackling good thriller. It's a big high concept thriller. He's doing it, this is a heavy split screen movie. There's entire chunks of this movie where you got three things going on at once for minutes at a time. Hmm. The script nice. was amazing to read because it's just all like each page is like broken into each screen. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah. How and, do you write a split screen movie? Yeah. I know. And, yeah. And Columns. Columns are your friend. Columns until you get to like five things. So you get tears and within columns. <laughs> I love it. It was a hard script to read, but it was amazing. But it was it's it's a it's a it's a fun movie. You want a good thriller? It's a good it's a good action thriller from the seventies. It's a good seventies thriller. Okay. It's nothing. It's nothing amazing, but it's good. I can't remember who plays the president, but there's actually like a big twist where they kill the president too. <gasps> I Dude. love it when you kill the president. No, it's oh, wait. No, great. No, no. no. Now the no, CIA is tracking me. No, Shit. basically it's like they trade the missile silo for the president and then the secretary of state just has the soldier shoot the president down before instead of releasing the secret. <gasps> that fucking secretary Dude, of state. Just, just kill the president and everyone and just... Don't trust them. John Kerry or Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So it has a great cynical ending too. <laughs> and where it's just like, yeah, we'll just fucking kill the president. <laughs> it's not like he was doing anything. No. <laughs> So what's next? Choir, so choir Boys. boys. Oh, choir Boys. God, that's one of the few books that enraged me so much I shut it like 60 pages in and threw it across the fucking room. Oh, like Lord of the Rings for me. What? I, I know I that about you. I, I still don't understand. And this wasn't because it was boring. It was infuriating. Yeah. It was just, it's Joseph Wamba is an ex-cop who basically wanted to write about all of the shit that cops do when we're not looking but treated as a lovable comedy about how they're just venting. You know, they're, they're just, this is just them getting their rock. Yay, down. paperwork, like, the musical. Know, urging, oh. r- urging suicides to jump off the building. You know, like finding oh. like accident scene victims and using their body parts for practical jokes. That's not nice. Oh that, that was the scene where I threw it across the room. Yeah. Wait, except I somehow feel like that is true. Especially especially given what has been going on with the cops yeah. for the last several months. And I'll be yeah. honest, the Aldrich film, I started watching it, but I could only find it on videotape and the videotape was super garbled, so I wasn't able to finish it. Mm-hmm. So I don't But I, what I hear is that it was another one of those cases where Aldrich hated the fucking book, too. So he's like, I'm going to make a movie that like completely flips a middle finger at the original book. Completely subvert it. And Wamba like started this massive media campaign against Aldrich and like they started biting against one one another. And it just I it sounds fascinating. I just haven't seen the movie yet. The book just pissed me right the hell off. <laughs> Fuck you. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I concur. Yeah. The Frisco the Kid. The Frisco Kid. Isn't that the one with about, Gene Wilder? With Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder, I was going to say. And, and Harrison Ford. <laughs> this is post-Star Wars Harrison Ford, right after Star Wars, the first one. Yeah, Wait, and, and before it, evolves... it hit so he didn't know he could do better? Apparently. But, you know, it, it also involves, the plot involves a Jew in the Old West, right? right? And a, a rabbi. It was a rabbi... It, for, who's like been just coming out of university in Israel 
has to go to America and cross the Wild West to set up a synagogue in California. <laughs> so this was the setup to a joke. This should have been a Mel Brooks movie. But it, this, is, this is another one where it kind of paid to read the script because... It was meant to be this great odyssey, this big episodic. These are all these adventures he has along the way. And then this this uh, scoundrel outlaw played by Harrison Ford is this character he would keep meeting along the way, keep folding it out of the story. Basically, what they did is they just chopped out 40% of the script and just squished it down to those parts with him and the, and the cowboy. Oh. And so the film is just really choppy. Mm. Gene Wilder, I love Gene Wilder. He just wasn't, it's not one of his better performances. He's trying too hard with the character and it just doesn't fit. And it just, it it didn't feel like Alders was that interested in it. It's not a bad movie. It's not a terrible thing if it's like a weekend you got nothing to watch. Mm-hmm. It's just not particularly great. And then when you then got to see what it could have been, which again, I recommend track down the novelization because that's based on that script. If you just want a good book, that's a good book. Frisco I want to know where you dig up these novelizations. This I, is amazing. I collect novelizations right alongside all the screenplays I collect. <laughs> Somebody lives in a basement? Yes. I have, <laughs> I have 2,360 screenplays so far. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> I Look. Thankfully, mostly all PDFs on a hard drive. I yes. can I can point fingers yes. at you and giggle because I, as we all know, have my own problems. Oh, yes. Wait, problem? <laughs> Not a no, problem. No, Not no. A no, problem. I get it. No, we all uh, have our things that we Obsessions, yeah. things we do to ridiculous lengths. No, and that's just a... Well, I mean, the thing is, I know where you can find screenplays, where they circulate underground. So I basically just grab everything that comes through. I know I'm never going to read them all. But I got to have them. But all by that. God, you've got them. And yes. doesn't it feel good sometimes? It's like I haven't read it well, yet, but I've got it. It's also one of those things where it's like these things can are only available in a very limited way, sometimes for a very limited amount of time. So if you don't grab it, you might never get a chance to get it again. Right. It's true. Yes. I understand. Though I, I agree, it was worse when I had seven hundred of them in long boxes. <laughs> <laughs> but then I then thankfully PDF became a thing. Thank God. Thank God, and really. So I, yeah, so then I've been able to just replace a lot of them with that. I still have three long Okay, movies. we're on the last yes. fucking Aldrich movie, and, finally. And you which, just watched Which it. I finally watched for the first time today. Yeah, the, this it, movie the is called... The title is dot, 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 All, all the, marbles. the Marbles. That is the title. Before you have you to judge include it, the dar- I will the say I love it. But it is, it's Peter Falk <laughs> is, is the manager of a woman's tag team wrestling pair (laughs) and so it's just following them as they just go across the country have matches struggle like you know with you know to pay for things because they don't make that much money and then like gearing up for the big championship and it's just it's it's a very brutal film in terms of it's very much a very honest depiction of what life was like as a wrestler on top of that being the women's wrestlers, mm-hmm. where you're not only beating the crap out of each other in the ring, but you have the exploitation angle to it. Yeah. There's actually a great centerpiece of the film is a mud wrestling thing where they feel that they've just completely humiliated themselves and want to quit. You know, and it's it's a very much it casts an eye to it, but it also has a very loving hand to it. It's one of those ones I, where it's like, I love these characters, but here's everything that's wrong with them. And I still love them anyways. And it also then, I the, the climax kind of mirrors Longest Yard a little bit too much, but still in a good way. It was just really well put together. I thought it was a perfect capper to his career. It was an unexpected capper to his career because that's this weird plot. And it's like he was just handed this random script. but And then he just made a pure Aldrich film out of it. And it mm-hmm. was, it, what, that's what I love about Aldrich is like, there's no real different point in his career where he was at a different level as a filmmaker. His early stuff is very reflective of his later stuff. His later stuff is very reflective of his early stuff. He was consistent in terms of his style, his tone. He would play with new things, like in the 70s when he brought in split screen and the and the distant thing. But his, his themes, his characterizations, it always stayed the same. Mm-hmm. And so to he see... He was a man who knew what he wanted to say. He was a passionate filmmaker who knew what he wanted to make. And yeah. he kept making that. This is what I'm good at. This is what I want to say. This is important to me. Yes. I got to respect that. So I will say, it's nice that I've made you excited about some of the Aldrich films that you haven't seen. Very, very excited. We need very to watch excited. a lot of them. He's, so excited. He is one of those filmmakers that you just don't hear much talk about. You hear talk of some of his specific movies, 
but you see very little discussion of his entire career. Right. His high points were so high that people forget that there's other stuff. And he's one of those filmmakers who even the lesser stuff is still interesting. Oh, yeah. He only has a few real stinkers, Mm -hmm. like Hustle and a couple of others, but... Even like his, even his stuff that isn't great or perfect or iconic is still like, there's some really neat stuff here, really meaty stuff that he's digging into. Well, yeah, it's like, it's like Hitchcock or Billy Wilder or, you know, their lesser films are also great. Yeah. So now, now you have already answered our questions once, right? Okay, wait, no, we know, need... that's why I wanted to clarify yeah. one point on one of okay, them. Yeah. Okay, we need to actually right. I don't mind wrap up again. our topic. Okay, hold on. <laughs> so we were talking about Robert Aldrich, yes. who everybody knows some of his movies. Even if they but, don't know him. But they don't know him. And you have brought him to the forefront. And now I think I kind of love this guy. Liberal John Milius. Oh, good God, yes. <laughs> I think I kind of love this guy. And now I need to like go fall into this hole a little bit. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. I will bring that box of DVDs. It's, it's and all and again I'm back at the forty year old virgin and just grabbing a box of Kleenex. Just as, just as long as you don't get anything on them. So um, so well, it's time for our our questions. Yes, and you may have answered them online, but it's time for you to answer them in person. Okay. <laughs> yes, because that makes it different somehow. So first so, question. So Noel, who are you? I am Noel Thingwall. Yay! Or if you were still living in the ancient Nordic countries, it would be what? It would probably be no Tinkfali. Tinkfali? Oh my goodness. Which is about all I know about my family lineage because I'm literally scattershot half of Europe, so I don't even look into that. Awesome. But with a name like Noel Thingval, you know yeah. it had to come from the north. <laughs> all right. So question number two. Yes. Hey, no, what do you do? Well, I am by day a personal care attendant for my handicapped sister. Uh, but then I podcast, I blog. I basically just spend a lot of time doing things on the Internet. God bless the Internet anyway. And you can find it all at noelct.blogspot.com. So. We, we will link that in the show notes. Show notes are great. Hey, what's question number three? Um, what is in your personal pleasure dome? Well, last time I answered, I gave this whole list. <laughs> I think this time I'll just say you, you can add to the list. Yeah. Well, I will clarify your points on the list okay. that I made last time, but I think what I will say for this time, a laptop connected to a network with access to every draft of every screenplay ever written. That is uniquely suited to your personal yes. pleasure dome, indeed. That is good. Yes. Though, if That's I can good. explain from last time, because yeah. it got a bit of a shocked reaction from you both. Okay. The Care Bears movie. <laughs> What? Yes. What the hell? You were like, oh, oh, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> please, please clarify. Clarify. Are you familiar with a film called Rock and Rule? Yes, I am. If For you who don't know, Wendy, it was this, was it late 70s, early 80s? It was like 79, 80. Yeah, it was right at the cusp, if I remember It was right. this independent, it was a bunch of independent Canadian animators who had made who had been like building this reputation for a number of shorts like Devil and Daniel Mouse. They did they think this Christmas special where it turned out the North Star was a spaceship and the three wise men were aliens. <laughs> they did the the infamous Now an- that sounds plausible. They FYI. Did, they did the infamous a- animated segment in the Star Wars holiday special. Oh my god. Oh, oh, Boba Fett. The introduction oh! of Boba Fett. Okay. And the, this, the Legos are starting to snap together in my brain now. Yes. And this is a group Nelvana who will go on to do a ton of stuff after yeah. this. But they all decided, we're a bunch of young, eager animators. We want to make a bold mission statement. We're going to make a feature film. Mm-hmm. And they made Rock and Rule, a rock opera, oh. mm-hmm. where it's basically Cheap Trick, Blondie, Iggy Pop. I can't remember who the other one How was. Have I not seen this? Yeah, this is like the other heavy metal. And it's it's exactly, this was like, I think, a year or two before heavy metal, the movie. Yeah. And it's basically like, you know, this band breaks up. She gets swept up by this this charismatic pop star who's actually going to use her voice to raise the elder god from beneath the earth and conquer the world. It's like the apple the other side. It's, yeah. It's basically like evil David Bowie wants to raise Cthulhu. <laughs> I'm so on board for that. Evil David Bowie would be hot. So and yeah. you got all this rock music going on. And so they basically just wanted to make this bold, like completely out there movie. And it bombed mm. it 
tanked. Aww. And to be fair, it's not a great movie. It's a really kind of fun, raw, rough movie, and it has some really neat stuff. It's just not great. And so in order to keep their company afloat, they're like, okay, quick, what do we, can we just sell our, license ourselves out to someone who wants to hire us? And the first offer they got was the Care Bears. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing about the first Care Bears movie... David Bowie raising Cthulhu Care Bears! Seriously, though, seriously though the first Care Bears movie are, is the Care Bears versus Satan. <laughs> This shadowy, evil, elder god being corrupting their world and them fighting him with the power of their magic bellies. (laughs) (laughs) And the first Care Bears movie... (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Oh my god! Wow, the laughter is so fun to behold in person, too. God. Okay, your clarification makes this a lot more interesting. I know. So there's this dark undercurrent to the movie of <laughs> the Care Bears. Of a, we're making a Care Bears movie, but B, fuck, we have to make a Care Bears movie. <laughs> so there is this kind of cynical edge underneath the film. So why I love what I love about Care Bears is it's like rock and rule are like these young rock star this young rock star band of animators going out, trying to conquer the world, failing, having to sell out and being pissed at it. <laughs> that is why I love the Care Bears movie because it is the capper to rock and roll. Oh, okay, so, that's, yeah. so you're basically saying that's an awesome double feature that somebody should yes, line up for themselves. watch Rock and Rule and then the Care Bears movie. <laughs> We're awesome! <laughs> Fuck you, we sold out! <laughs> And then sadly, that set the stage for Nelvana, where they just became known for doing Care Bears and Babar and Arthur. And they never got to go back and do anything like Rock and Roll again. Aww. And it's like Care Bears is like the last gasp of them wringing a few drops into this thing that they have had to sell out for. <laughs> well, at least, <laughs> they made a, at least they made a living. So that's why I had the Care Bears movie on my list. Okay, good to, good to know. Good to yeah, know. Very good. So the last question... Mr. Noel Thingval is, do you have a recommendation for our communal pleasure dog? Yes, here's a box of Robert Aldrich movies. Yes. Yes! No <laughs> shit! <laughs> I mean, specifically, if I had to narrow it down, Emperor of the North Pole, Killing of Sister George are Kill- just two of and my attack. I wanna and attack. attack. I want to see Attack. I want to see Attack. I want to see him take down a tank with a bazooka. That, you've sold. 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 Right there. Take my money. Take my money. Can it tread on me? (laughs) Oh my God. That sounds amazeballs. Okay. So this has been Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. And holy cow, have we been talking about Robert Aldrich movies. But we're done now for the moment. And we're going to move on to other things and other alcohol. But I've been Wendy. That has been Melissa. And this has been Noel. And we have talked a lot about some really great movies. And you should seek them out. Because if you don't, I don't know what to do with you. Eat, I, I'm going to eat cookies out of shame for you. Or the something. Care Bears will come for you. <laughs> smite the Satan in your heart by the color of their bellies. <laughs> Belly power. Whoa. It's like E.T., only cuter. Seriously, imagine like a e. cloudy E.T. was shaded... not cute. Ima- imagine Tim Curry from Legend surrounded by a bunch of Care Bears shining their bellies at him. Oh. <laughs> that just... That's the gift that keeps on giving. Like, seriously, that might be my Christmas wish. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. That's what I also love about the Victor Buono character is he's a fan who gets to see the reality of what he's been a fan of and is just like, I don't want this anymore. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm such a fan of you or such a crazy. Well, so far, I'm still fine with you two. So. (laughs) 